And for those of us that are remaining here, uh, please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Uh, that's page 1104 in the church Bibles and 1707 uh, in the large print. Acts chapter 10. And just before we read that, just to give uh, some bearings of where we are in the book of Acts here, uh, the book of Acts is the story uh, of the early church. Uh, So Jesus rose from the dead, and he spends time with his disciples, uh, and he tells them to be his witnesses and spread the good news of his death and resurrection uh, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Uh, Jesus ascends to heaven. Uh, The Holy Spirit comes and dwells upon and in his disciples to help them to spread the gospel uh, to the ends of the earth. But up to the point of Acts chapter 10, the gospel really has only gone primarily to Jewish people. And Acts chapter 10 is a turning point as the gospel goes from Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria And as the gospel goes in Acts chapter 10 to a Gentile, a non-Jew, we see the beginning of the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So this chapter is a a turning point in Acts, uh, Acts, but also it's a turning point in the history of the world as the gospel begins to go uh, to the ends of the earth. So I'm going to read Acts chapter 10, the whole of this chapter. It would be helpful to follow along if you have a Bible. If you don't, there are Bibles at the back, uh, which you can have. But let's read Acts chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds, And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the man sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said, I'm only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to be associated with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send a dropper for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who are under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. 
They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. This is God's word. And I've entitled this sermon, The Indiscriminate Gospel. The Indiscriminate Gospel. Now all of us in this room have favorites in various areas of our life. Uh, We have favorite food. Uh, We have a favorite sports team. A favorite holiday destination, perhaps. Even favorite friends. Uh, Young people call them BFFs. Maybe you have one of those. But sometimes, and those things are fine, but sometimes having a favorite is wrong. Now, I have a favorite son. But that's not wrong because I only have one. But if I had multiple sons, wouldn't it be wrong for me to have a favorite one? If you're at work and you work in a team of of four people and one of them is your favorite, then it would be wrong to favor them by making them a coffee every morning but excluding everybody else. We know it's wrong to discriminate for all sorts of reasons. If someone was to come into a shop and they were elderly and the shopkeeper was to say, no, I'm not going to serve you the tin of baked beans, you're old. We know that obviously that is wrong, isn't it? But we're going to see today how all of us, in various ways, have our own wrong favorites. All of us discriminate in some way in terms of who we share the gospel with and who we share God's blessings with. And what we're going to see from this chapter in Acts is how that is so very wrong because the God we worship is the God who is indiscriminate in how he offers his grace. Now, in one sense, we do know that God saves some and others are not saved. And you could say, well, isn't God showing favor? And the answer is yes, he is showing favor. But that's a different thing to how we might show favor, because when God shows favor, he's not showing favor to us because of anything about us. God hasn't saved me because I'm a really nice person. He's not saved me because I'm English or because I'm wearing black shoes or whatever it might be. He saved me because of grace. It's undeserved favor. That's not the kind of favor we're talking about this morning. We're talking about favoritism, which we're going to see is very wrong. And the Jewish people of this time were very guilty of favoritism, of prejudice, of discrimination. They were the chosen people of God, and their role was to share God with the world that others would come to know God. But the Jewish people of this time treated their favor from God as a reason to put other people at arm's length. They would not share God's blessings with others, with Gentiles. They saw them as unclean and kept them at a distance. Now, God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace, and we're going to see that this morning in Acts chapter 10. And because God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace, we must be indiscriminate in our sharing of the gospel and our sharing of his blessings. So let's see how Acts chapter 10 shows us this. First of all, we see in the first 
big chunk, the first 35 verses, the big point is that God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. So in verse 1, we're introduced to a man named Cornelius. He was a Roman centurion. That means he was a high-ranking soldier in charge of a hundred men. And it's important to understand that Cornelius was not the kind of man that a Jewish person would normally associate with. He was not circumcised, he was a Roman, and he was a soldier of those Roman occupying forces. Verse 2 tells us he was God-fearing, so he was not Jewish by birth, and he wasn't a Jew by circumcision, but he was respectful of the Jewish law, he did give money, he did pray, he would have been even respected as far as a Gentile could be, but he was still at arm's length. The Jewish people would not certainly have gone into his house. But Cornelius, although he was a respectful man, he was not yet a Christian. He was seeking God. And that's why in verse 4, we see how God listened to his prayers. Just as a, a point here, if you are seeking God, genuinely seeking the true and living God, you will find him. He will show himself to you as he does to Cornelius here. And the way that God does that for Cornelius is in verses 3 to 8, an angel of God appears and he tells Cornelius to go and fetch Peter, a man he would never have met. But nevertheless, Cornelius obeys right away, sends his men without question to go and get Peter. And so from Cornelius' house, in verse 9, we're moved to another scene in this, uh, this story were moved to Peter's house. And Peter uh, had received the command at the beginning of Acts to share the gospel to the ends of the earth, which meant that it would need to be shared with people like this Roman centurion. But so far, it had only been shared with the Jewish people. So Peter was on uh, the, the roof praying. That was a normal thing for people to do. Obviously, in our country, you wouldn't do that, not just because the roof is slanted, but because it's freezing cold most of the time. But in Israel, that wasn't the case. So he goes up on the roof. He's praying. And you might have had this experience. As you're praying, you become hungry. And Peter was hungry. And God uses this hunger to teach Peter a lesson through this vision. Uh, notice uh, how we read that, he that the heavens are opened. Uh, notice that in um, verse, uh, verse 11, he saw heaven opened. When we see heaven opened, we know God is going to speak. God's going to say something very important. And look what he sees in verse 11 and 12. Look at that verse. He sees something like a large sheet being led down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Why is Peter seeing this? Well, the Old Testament law forbade the Jews from eating certain kinds of foods, the kinds of foods that Peter would have seen on this sheet. And the purpose was to show the Jewish people's separation from other peoples. They were a different people, a special people, a people called by God. And there was nothing wrong with the Jews following this law. In fact, they were supposed to follow this law. But it resulted in them being prejudiced against other people, so much so that they could not even eat together. 
which would be a major hindrance to the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Eating together is a way of communing, of intimacy, of being able to share the gospel. So if Peter was not even willing to go into someone's house, then they weren't able to hear about Jesus. And in verse 13, Peter was told by a voice to kill and eat. This would mean Peter eating food declared by the Old Testament law as unclean. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to break God's law. But in verse 15, God says these words which change Peter's life and begin the process of destroying his prejudice. Look at verse 15, what God says. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The purpose of that law in the Old Testament was not so that other people could not become part of God's people. It was to show that those who are God's people are different. So if you were to become part of the people of God in the Old Testament, you also would have to follow that law. But now that law has been fulfilled by Jesus Christ and no longer are any foods unclean. And Peter, this was so radical for him, he had to be shown it three times. The third time would mean that this was a a confirmation that this really is from God. And in verse 17, Peter's wondering what this vision means. Does it mean then that for lunch I can have a bacon sandwich? Is that what you're telling me, God? Well, it means more than being able to have a bacon sandwich. He begins to see that this is a total change in the plan of of God's salvation. It's now moving forwards to the ends of the earth. Notice how God is at work here. Notice God's perfect timing. Just as Peter prays, the men show up from Cornelius, just at the right time. That's not a coincidence, is it? The men who have never met Peter before show up at his house and know him. When I was away um, on holiday last week, I was at church and someone came up to me and said, oh, hi, Steve. And I'd never met this guy before. So I said to him, sorry, I don't even know you. Um, Do you know who I am? And he only knew me because he'd already spoken to Paula. But at first I was shocked that this guy would know my name. But he knows my name because Paula had told him. How did these people know Peter's name? Peter would be wondering. The answer is, God had told them, or told Cornelius. God is at work. In verse 19, the Spirit tells Simon to go downstairs and go with these men. It's God himself telling Peter to go downstairs. God is at work. This is a work of God to move his salvation plan forward so that the ends of the earth can hear the salvation of God. And Peter goes with the men to Caesarea, and he arrives at Cornelius' house. Verse 24, notice how Cornelius was waiting eagerly for Peter to come. He couldn't wait. I don't know if you feel like that about coming to church this morning, but it'd be great if you did, that that we're just excited to hear what, what God has to say. Cornelius was eager. In fact, he wasn't just waiting for, for Peter He knew that through Peter, he was going to hear from God himself. So excited was Cornelius that he invites his relatives and his close friends. In verse 27, there's a large gathering at this house. And the reason that Peter falls down in worship at Peter, why Cornelius falls down in worship at Peter's feet is because he thinks Peter 
is an apparition of God because he knew that God was coming to speak to him. Cornelius also shows he didn't yet know God. He would do very soon. But Peter was so excited that he would just bow down in front of Peter. But Peter, well, he knew very well he wasn't God. He tells Cornelius to get up because he's going to show Cornelius who the true and living God really is. Uh, Just as an interesting uh, side point here, God used an angel to get Peter invited to Cornelius' house. Cornelius had to wait for Peter to arrive. Why didn't the angel just tell Peter, uh, tell Cornelius the gospel? And the reason is because God does not choose angels to proclaim his gospel. He chooses sinners who have been saved by his grace to proclaim his gospel. He uses mere mortals like you and me to tell others about Jesus. One sinner telling another how to find the Savior. While Peter is with this large crowd and we see him realize what God meant by this vision on the sheet. Look at verses 28 and 29. Peter said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone, notice it's not just anything, but anyone, impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. May I ask why you sent for me? Peter says that God showed him that the meaning of the meat on the sheet was that people are not to be classified as impure or unclean. Peter can be with these people. He can enter into his house. He can eat with these people. He can do that with any people, indiscriminately. And so he asks them, what what, what do you want? And in verses 30 to 33, Cornelius explains what happened to him and why he sent for Peter. He explains about the angel and everything that was going on. And it's interesting that Peter wants to know why Cornelius sent for him. And Cornelius wants to know what Peter has to say. Each of them has been spoken to by God and they're confirming to each other that this really is God that's spoken to us. And what Peter has to say is truly wonderful and life-transforming. And verses 34 and 35 are the key verses to understanding the whole of this long chapter of Acts chapter 10. So look with me at verses 34 and 35. Let's park here for a moment. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Hear those words. God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. Cornelius was a man who was seeking God but was not Jewish. According to the Jewish law, which was misinterpreted, I might add, he was excluded from the people of God. But God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. He does not show favoritism. Whatever nation you are from, if you fear God and do what is right, which we'll see in a moment means 
trusting in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for your sin, and you are following him as your king, then you are welcome into his kingdom wherever you're from. And this is good news, is it not? Because it doesn't matter, it's not just what nation you're from. The offer of God's grace is indiscriminate in all sorts, in every kind of way. You can be welcomed into God's family and freed from your sins no matter who you are. It doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what your income is. It doesn't matter what your dress sense might be. It doesn't matter what your skin tone is. It doesn't matter whether you have a criminal record. It doesn't matter whether you politically are left-wing or right-wing or somewhere in the middle. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed. The offer of God's grace is indiscriminate. You are welcome into God's kingdom if you put your faith in Jesus Christ no matter where you are from. That is good news, is it not? God does not show favoritism. None at all. And I wonder, is there anyone here who is holding back from following Jesus because they think in any way that he wouldn't welcome you? Maybe there's something you've done in the past. Maybe you've had a bad experience of church where you've not been welcomed before. And you're thinking, I can't be welcome in God's kingdom. Rubbish. You are welcome. God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. Nothing matters in terms of the normal things that divide a society into groups. All people are welcome for God. Now Peter realizes this and it transforms him. Because Peter, before he realizes this, would never have even put his foot over the threshold of Cornelius' house. He wouldn't have gone there at all. But it transforms him. The indiscriminate offer of God's grace transforms Peter into a man who is now indiscriminate in the offer of God's grace in the sharing of his gospel. Because he gets into the house and he preaches the gospel to the Gentile. And so the indiscriminate offer of God's grace has two impacts in Acts chapter 10. And the first impact is if if God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace... So we must be indiscriminate in the preaching of his gospel. That is the implication of how God has treated us. And so in verse 36, after saying how good that God does not show favoritism, Peter shares the good news about Jesus. Notice in verse 36, by the way, who is Jesus Lord of? Who does he say? He is Lord of all. Not some, but all. And so everybody needs to hear about Jesus. And in verse 37 to 41, Peter explains about Jesus. He says how Jesus was baptized and and, and filled with the Holy Spirit. He explains about the healings which showed that Jesus is God. He explains about how Peter and other witnesses saw these things happen. He shares about how Jesus was nailed to the cross. He shares about how Jesus is risen from the dead. He shares how Jesus uh, was seen and he ate and drank with his disciples. He shares the historical facts that we read of in the Gospels. He tells this Gentile these wonderful truths. And Peter was one who saw these things happen. But in verses 42 and 43, Peter explains what these historical realities mean in the light of the fact that God does not show favoritism. Look at verses 42 and 43. It says these words, He commanded us to preach to the people 
and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So Peter was commanded to preach that God appointed Jesus to be the judge of the living and the dead. That includes everyone. He's the judge of all. You can only ever be living or dead, right? He's the judge of all. But here's the wonderful thing. We will not be judged for our sins if we are forgiven of them. And this forgiveness is available to who? It says, everyone who believes in his name. Everyone who believes that Jesus has died in their place for their sins. Everyone who believes that can find forgiveness. Peter preaches the gospel to these Romans. And by the way, it wasn't just Cornelius. He'd filled his house with people that he knew. There would have been people there that normally the Jewish people would have hated. And here is Peter telling them about Jesus. Because God shows no favoritism, Peter shows no favoritism. And so the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what about us? From what kind of people do we distance ourselves from so that we would not share the gospel with? Think about that. Now, Peter, uh, in his vision, had a sheet that came down, and the, the sheet showed him who he discriminated against in terms of sharing the gospel. Imagine yourself to be Peter, and the sheet comes down, Who would be on your sheet? Would it be immigrants? Posh people? Poor people? Teenagers with hoodies? The nerd or the the kino at school? The parent who drops their child off to school while wearing their pajamas? The Tories? The socialists? Would a rainbow flag be on your sheet? The elderly who are slowing you down when you're trying to get round? The prisoner, the homeless? Who who would be on your sheet? Because here's the problem with anyone who is on our sheet. They desperately, desperately need to hear the gospel. And God didn't entrust the gospel to an angel He entrusted the gospel to us to tell others about Jesus. And I think our initial response to people who are different from us or that we don't like is to avoid them or to roll our eyes at them or even to get angry with them. But that's not what God wants, is it? He wants us to pray for them and tell them about Jesus. So rather than doing those things that we shouldn't, why not try and talk to them and lead them to Christ? Because who else is going to do it? And I think as well, a lack of willingness to share the gospel with someone who is different from us and that we don't like betrays an underlying problem in our hearts. And that underlying problem is this. If we're like that, we're saying, I deserve God's grace 
which doesn't even make sense because grace is undeserved favor, but I deserve it, but they don't really. And what could be more opposite to what God is like? He's indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. How dare we be otherwise? But welcoming people indiscriminately goes further than just telling them about Jesus. It involves ensuring that we welcome them into the family of faith as brothers and sisters. And this is where what we see in verses 40 to, uh, 44 to 48. If God is indiscriminate in the sharing of his grace, then also we must be indiscriminate in the sharing of his blessings. Look with me at verses 44 to 46. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Now it's important to recognize here that there is a repeat in Acts chapter 10 of what happened among the Jewish people in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. So it's a carbon copy. Peter preaches, the Holy Spirit comes, people praise God. And the Holy Spirit comes upon those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And in Acts chapter 2, that happened to the Jewish people. And one of the signs that people had become Christians was that the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were able to speak in other languages, declaring the wonders of God. Now, this doesn't mean that this always happens today, but what it does mean that the same thing that happened to the Jews in Acts 2 happened to the Gentiles in Acts 10. In other words, this was showing that the Gentiles in Caesarea that had become Christians were exactly the same kind of Christian as the Jewish people on the day of Pentecost. There was no difference. There was no, I'm a Jewish Christian and I'm a Gentile Christian. They were all Christians, the same. Receiving the Holy Spirit meant that these Gentiles were real believers. There was no distinction anymore. And so if these Gentiles were true Christians then they should receive the same blessings of being in God's kingdom as everybody else who had become Christians, beginning with water baptism. Now, when someone becomes a Christian, the Bible tells us that we are to be baptized. And water baptism is an external sign of what God has done in our lives. But it's not just an individual thing, a a, a me and God thing. It is also the responsibility of the church, the people of God, to recognize that someone being baptized is a real believer. So when Peter baptizes Cornelius, it's not just Cornelius and God having a happy time. Peter is saying to the church and the church of affirming, we believe that Cornelius is truly saved. He is a brother in Christ. He is part of this family. That's what baptism is doing. It's a two-way thing. We are affirming as a church, this person believes. And so Peter, by baptizing this group, want to welcome them as real brothers and sisters of the family of faith. And he says, if they've received the Holy Spirit, then nothing can stand in the way of their being baptized and thus joining the church. 
And so they were baptized. And as a church, we must be careful to ensure that the blessings of being part of God's family are shared with every Christian. So, for example, when, when we interview people for membership or baptism and we're welcoming them into the church, we must not welcome them in or baptize them based on anything other than their faith in Jesus Christ. We don't judge people according to their accent or their intelligence or how well they can articulate the gospel. They've got to be able to understand the gospel, but it doesn't matter if it's not the greatest gospel presentation in the world. We don't judge them on wealth and how much they could give to the church or anything like that. We just ascertain, is this person a brother or sister in Christ? Have they received the Holy Spirit? Similarly, when we're looking for elders or deacons, does your prejudice affect who you might nominate? Does it affect who you might submit to? Do you only nominate people that you really like rather than people who are really qualified? When we have coffee and tea at the end of the service, is it only your family or people you know that you speak to? Is it only people that are like you or people that you get on with that you talk to? Or are you willing to share your life with all of God's people? What about the people you bless with your resources, people you have around for dinner or people you give money to? Is it only people that you like or that are like you? Or does that display a prejudice in your life as well? Because God is indiscriminate in the sharing of his grace, then we must be indiscriminate in the sharing of his blessings. And in doing this, we reflect the character of the God who saved us from our sins, don't we? If God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace, which he is, how dare we be discriminatory in the preaching of his gospel or the sharing of his blessings? Let's just have a moment before we respond in song to consider what we've just heard from God's word. And there are two considerations I want you to have a think about just for a minute. Number one, ask yourself this question. Have I realized that the gospel is for me? Have I accepted it? Do I realize that the gospel is for me? And then secondly, if you're a Christian especially, ask yourself this question. Who is on my sheet? Confess it to God and repent of it. So let's just bow our heads just for a minute, think about those things, and then I'll pray just in a moment. Heavenly Father, 
Your grace is truly amazing. We're so thankful that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but you treat us with amazing grace that is not based on anything that we have done or anything that we are or what we look like or our background. You save us by grace. And I pray that anybody here that is holding back from you, Lord, because they think that you wouldn't want them, would your Holy Spirit now show them that you save us by grace and that they are welcome into your kingdom if they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are Christians, we confess our sin to you, our Father. We confess that we haven't got this right in so many ways. We have held back sharing both your gospel and your blessings. We confess that to you and pray that we would see the amazing nature of your grace and that we, therefore, would show that to others. Thank you for showing us this in this passage in Acts. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. But if any of you have questions about Jesus and you want to come and see us afterwards, um, if you speak to someone, they're probably a Christian and they'd be happy to share with you. And if they're not, they should be because we've just said uh, that you should be. Uh, so talk to one another about Jesus. That's what we're here for, to celebrate him. Uh, but we're going to finish uh, with uh, a song that speaks of how uh, God's people uh, are brought together uh, to praise him uh, as one people. So let's stand and finish with let the peoples praise you, let the nations be glad. into your glorious light that we may sing the wonders of the risen Christ may our every breath we tell the grace that broke into our strife with boundless love and deepest joy with endless life may the peoples praise you let the nations be glad all your blessing comes that we may praise may praise the name of Jesus all the earth is yours and all within each harvest is your own and from your hand we give to you to make Christ known may the seeds of mercy grow in us for those who have not heard May songs of praise build lives of grace to spread your word. May the peoples praise.
Let the nations be glad. All your blessing comes that we may praise, may praise the name of Jesus. This our holy privilege to your praises and your name to every nation tribe and tongue your church proclaims may the peoples praise you let the nations be glad all your blessing comes that we may praise may praise the Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> 